Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. We've got a cracker of an episode for you today as we delve headfirst into everybody's favourite franchise, the Alien movies. This one has something for everyone with four very different films in both style and content and lots of contextual psychology to discuss. And if you do like it, then please help us spread our podcast by sharing and recommending to your friends and loved ones. Don't forget you can find us at facebook.com forward slash Diminishing Returns podcast. This episode contains spoilers for Alien, Aliens, Alien Cubed, and Alien Resurrection. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. I'm Alan, and with me as always is the man with the straightest teeth in podcasting, Calvin Dyson. Hello, thank you Invisalign. And uh, is that a burrito in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Sol Harris. A little bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) This week we are tackling the Alien films, and by that mean we mean the real Alien films, so the first four, Uh, and then the nonsense that comes after that we'll be dealing with uh, in the next two weeks, as part of our big Alien three-parter. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we did Psycho, which is Calvin's favourite film. And so this week, it's one of my favourite films, Alien, which has long been uh, cited as one of my favourite films. Uh, so, uh, do you guys want to start by telling me why it shouldn't be my favourite film? Why it shouldn't? Wait. Or are you going to be on my side? <laughs> Well, um, interesting enough, Alien is in my top five films, easily. Ooh, it's way up there for me, so you're not going to have any uh, okay, so, arguments from me. Sol, are so, you, you going to take the position of uh, dissenting opinion, or are you a little alien? I guess I'll have well? to. I mean, uh, Aliens, <laughs> let me let me look where it is for me. Uh, Aliens, my 74th favourite film. <laughs> it's so specific. <laughs> I'm looking at my list. I know, but... Why you, the list is so specific? You can't. The, the, the trouble is, different films are not that easy to compare. We we try and cram them into a kind of. I think it's very system. easy to compare, Alan. It's it's easy. It's 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 not quite as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's a little bit better than Let the Right One In. Oh, that is one of that is just disgustingly offensive. I think the point here is that um, we've never covered a series that we all revere so well before. Like often, you know, it'll be not some of us won't have seen them, or uh, one of us will be the fanboy and the other two not so much, yeah. or we'll have mixed yeah. opinions. This is the first one where I feel like we're all pretty big fans, certainly of one or two movies at least. In the yeah, I, I really like the first one. I'm going to switch gear into the dissenting opinion uh, <laughs> when we get to some of the sequels, because I yeah, know yeah, that yeah. you guys are well into those. <laughs> well, I, I think the, the Alien franchise is very well suited to what we do, because it's covered a huge amount of different things. It has so much variation in the different pieces of the franchise, and lots of things to talk about, especially in terms of the directors and what they've done and all that sort of thing. So uh, in preparation for this, I've watched the films all again. I've seen them all many times before. But I thought I'll do it. I'll make them sure they're fresh. And I ended up watching some of the uh, like extended editions and stuff like that because I thought oh, I'll make it a little bit different. Um, so if we're going to take the position we all like it, let's start with the negatives. Uh, it's very slow, isn't it? Very slow paced, <laughs> <laughs> particularly the Is first it? sort of forty I, I, minutes. I, I don't know. I, I think it's quite. It, it, I mean, it's not 
like fast, but it's all paced. Mm, no, the, the first 40 minutes is very slow, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I notice it much more now than I used to, I think, because maybe just I mean, the attention span that we used to. Well, which version did you see? Because uh, each version of it on DVD now comes either in the original theatrical release or a special cut or a director's cut or an extended cut or whatever. Uh, And the director's cut of Alien is actually shorter than the theatrical one, even though it includes Mm. a couple of extra scenes and different takes and stuff. But the pacing is generally a lot quicker. Alan, you... you Are you saying you watch the director's cuts of these films for... Uh, the second and third films, yes. Because I, I have a memory of you going on a tirade about how director's cuts don't well, I was, count. And... I was just about to come on to this, actually, <laughs> because we were on the subject. This right. whole director's cut thing and special extended editions and things, I'm not a big fan. I like, I like I, I... a film to be what it is. You watch it, it's the same as when you watched it in 1937 or when yeah, you watched I mean, it in I... 1979 or whatever. It's, it, like, I like it to be a, a encapsulated piece. In in principle, I agree with you, but two of my favourites, Little Shop of Horrors and Army of Darkness, were, mm. were like, ch- the, the ending was just completely changed by uh, test screenings, so you have to watch the director's cut to get the, the true, proper ending. I'm kind of okay with it so long as the original is still there and available. Like, if they do a George Lucas and never release the originals, then I'm pissed off with it. But with this, it's like, in every home media release for the past, like, 15 years or whatever, they've included both versions. They're both on the disc, Mm. which is nice. I I find it more as an interesting side note rather than something that we should accept as as a kind of a new version of the film. It's only really technically the first film, Alien, that has a true director's cut. Aliens yeah. is a special edition cut, which is just like extended by about 40 minutes. It's just extra partly, scenes part, added in, isn't it? Yeah. Partly because the Sigourney Weaver was very upset that a certain scene was cut. Well, I'm sure we'll get to it later on. The Alien release, David, fin- the Alien 3 release, um, David Fincher has walked away from. He wants nothing more to do with the film. So that was a cobbled together version based on a work print, like a rough mm-hmm. cut that was available before it was trimmed down for the theatrical director's cut. And for Alien Resurrection, the director is on the DVD saying well they came to me like I only released the film like six years ago and that is my director's cut but you know there's some extra stuff in here that you might find interesting it's just an alternate version but my true director's cut is the theatrical version exactly that's the problem with it that they're now they're just trying to find stuff to put in for the new DVD release Oh, I don't know about that. I I think in a case like in in the case of like Alien Three, we'll we'll get onto it later on. But I think Alien Three is a vastly better film in the extended version. Mm. Yeah, that is um well, that's an interesting case because that is definitely something that was taken away from the director. Yeah, mm. um, and so I think there's much more of a case to be interested to see the actual director's vision of what that would have been. So shall we? Uh, we've talked a bit about the different versions. Shall we talk more about the first film specifically? Yeah. Yes. Okay. We kind of have Star Wars, I suppose, to thank for the creation of this film. It was another 20th Century Fox production, and after Star Wars, everyone was desperate for space adventures or things set in space. And this was basically... It's basically Ten Little Indians in Space, isn't it? It's a slasher movie in space where an alien kills a colourful mm. cast of people. Yeah. And that that's why I love it, to be honest. So many people... Well, not so many, but I, I often encounter people who... People who think the second one's better than the first, of which, you know, there are a lot of people with that opinion, Mm. they generally go to, oh, well, the first one's just, it's just a slasher movie in space. And it's like, yeah, but it's 
there's a really beautiful simplicity to that. You, you can't say, oh, it's just a slasher film in space. When Bear in mind when it was made, when slasher films weren't really a thing. Or like it, mm. it preceded the kind of when they became uh, hackneyed, I guess. And so it was yeah. setting a lot of these rules and, and helping create True. that slasher genre. And it's got far more substance than the average slasher movie has. Yeah. You know, there's some legitimate science fiction going on in Alien. Um, you know, some legitimate social commentary that comes with it. Well, we need to break this down into little stages, I think. Um, so, can we just talk about Ridley Scott first of all? Yes. Um, this was his second feature film. He had a long history of uh, adverts and, and things like that. He was an experienced director. He made The Duelists, which turned out to be a sort of bigger hit than anyone expected, but wasn't like a huge hit or anything. And so off the back of that, got this job. What was the expectation of Alien? Was it just going to be a little thing, a little sci-fi film that got thrown out? Or My understanding was that the Fox gave Ridley Scott like far more lenience and freedom to kind of do what he wanted than they normally would have with this sort of thing, because it yeah. was just that. Part of what I like about Alien, I think, is that it, it doesn't have that Hollywood sheen. It, it feels very... Mm rough and dirty it feels much different to what you'd get like i say it's kind of slow paced there's uh yeah very improvised dialogue which comes across very real what i like about it and it's, it definitely feels more british um mm. i think it's got real kind of right back to uh british working class kind of subjects yeah and the kind yeah, of the it, kitchen sink dramas i think it's got a lot of that feel to it and you know and the, and the fact that the the little sort of it's not exactly subplot but the the kind of the background of the of the characters is that they're kind of just moaning about their pay and they don't, and and the the fact that this is a sci-fi film but it's not it's not star trek it's not even star wars it's this dirty little uh ship drifting around in space and it's it feels more like a factory it's it's very industrial and this industrial mm. future <clears throat> okay well i've i've slightly strayed off what i was talking about in the original place which was Ridley Scott now basically just occurred to me after re-watching this I've always thought yeah Ridley Scott great director I love Alien but I tried to think what else he'd done <laughs> and I could name like three other Ridley Scott films I think um <clears throat> so I just wanted to see like go on then name me some Ridley Scott films throw some out at me Prometheus <laughs> exactly, <yes. laughs> uh, Hannibal uh, American yeah. Gangster Thelma and Louise Ooh, Thelma Blade Louise, Runner yeah. Did he do Matchstick Men? Or am I thinking, or was that Tony Scott? Well, that is Ridley Scott, that one, isn't it? Nicholas Cage. Gladiator. Black Hawk Down. Legend. That's a dreadful film. (laughs) I hate Legend. I've never seen it. Oh, it's so shit. I mean, Hannibal's pretty terrible as well. I mean, a lot of his films are shit, but just very... I do think they're well-directed for the most part. Well, this is my point I'm getting to. Is Ridley Scott a good director? Because there's lots of his films that are a bit shit. And I'm trying to put my finger on, like, what he has brought to Alien, for example. I think so. I I think... I, I think pretty much everything I've seen from Ridley Scott has been... has either been well or phenomenally well directed. And I've seen some of his films where the script has been shocking and he's just done a he's done a really good job of directing a bad script. I don't think the screenplay for Alien is particularly remarkable. I think the film works because of the uh mm-hmm. the bringing together of so many elements yeah. in just the right way. So I think he is a very good director to be honest. Um even if he's not 
one of my personal all-time favourites. I think part, part of the issue here is that he doesn't have any what you might call auteur qualities. There's nothing you could sort of pinpoint yeah. and say, oh, that's, that's classic true. Ridley Scott. He, he, but he works within genre really well. He And he, mm. he, like I say, he always puts together a good product. And sometimes that product is not, the ingredients aren't really there. But, you know, ultimately it's well put together piece of work, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay. All right. Ridley Scott vindicated. Um, um, Okay, so next element, uh, the acting. Ah, yes. I'm very happy to get onto the cast. Generally speaking, great acting all all through. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just to take because back a little bit, this was one of the, this is one of the films that got me into film. It was one of those films that I watched and went, "Wow, this is like an amazing world," and 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 that I want to watch more films. Right when I was a young man. So when I watched this, I didn't know who any of the actors were. You know, I didn't know. I might have known that Sigourney Weaver did more Alien films. I'm not sure how much I knew about the context of the whole thing. But you know, it was. I wasn't like, oh my god, that's John Hurt. Or well, anything who like that. who is Tom Skerritt? Well, interestingly, Tom Skerritt is. Was pr- pr- probably the biggest name in the film, uh, and he gets and, you know, star and he was, billing, and he was the, and he was the captain as well. So, which is great because I, I suppose watching it at the time, you would have thought, oh, he's going to be the action hero, he's going to save the day, and then he gets mm. killed, and it's suddenly like, oh shit, all bets are off. Don't know what's going to happen now. Well, he's he he is the star. Like he's his name is above Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver's in the credits. Well, it's because she wasn't. She, gets... she was a nobody. <laughs> no, yeah, she was a complete nobody. She'd had a bit part in Annie Hall, and she was make, She was fairly all right on Broadway, from what I hear. But this was her first. Like, I mean, it was a mm. proper breakthrough performance. Too tall to be a star, though, and it too tall for a woman. <laughs> this for me is a hundred percent. Perfect cast. Everyone in their roles is absolutely perfect. Yeah, I think it was an ensemble. You got a Bond it connection. You got a Hitchcock connection. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> you got Sigourney oh, it's all my... No, no, no. But I think this is this is what you get. Like with the exception of Tom Skerritt, uh, arguably, I think everyone else in there, and probably Sigourney Weaver, uh, they're, they're all great character actors. They give good yeah. character performances. And while not many of them have become like leading, you know, um, icons of cinema like Sigourney Weaver did. But I, I, they're all such great supporting players, and they all bring so much to their characters. Because apparently Ridley Scott didn't actually give them that much direction. He was like, "Right, I'm going to be focusing on the visuals and the special effects and the alien itself, setting the atmosphere. So I just need to cast actors who I can just say, right, go away and do your character." And and it does feel like those char- those actors are working with the characters rather than just people saying lines and all, yeah. and, and just performing. And that's what I like about it. I always respond to good acting, um, mm. and particularly like a good kind of, uh, especially natural acting and natural dialogue, which obviously this comes across really strongly in Alien. Yeah, I, totally. I feel like we've overlooked the um, the finest performance in the film, though. The cat, Jones. Oh, Jonesy. Jones, <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, film's got a cat in it. What more do I want? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how big a deal is it that the lead um, character of the film turns out to be a woman? In my mind, I it's never hit me as a big thing, but it's because I've been brought up in a world in which yeah. Ellen Ripley is an established character. Um, mm. And yeah, but in reality, there aren't many female action heroes. And in 1979, there weren't any. So mm. yeah, it must have been a big deal. I don't know. But even having said that, in the first film, she's not really an action hero, and that's kind of part of why yeah. it works. Um, mm. We'll come on to the second film later, but in the, in that first film, she then none of them are. They're just some workers yeah. who get 
they were getting terrorized by something and she does just about enough to well she basically she's running away from it and then she kind of has to kill it in the end <clears throat> and just while we're um while we talk about the acting the scene the famous chestburster scene where kane uh, is on the coffee table or on the dining table mm. possibly my favorite scene in the, the history of cinema I think. Oh, really? It, it just huh. encapsulate everything about Alien. The the natural acting, the kind of mm. this sudden sudden terror, this the mm. the fear of the unknown, and and it, and you got the Alien as well. It's, like, it's great. And and there's a lot of fluids like going in people's faces. I know you're <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. You know, it's it's great because they filmed that scene. It's kind. Of, I mean, the actors. It was. It's kind of natural because they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They knew that something was going to come out of John Hurt, but exactly what was going to happen, they didn't quite know, and they're all so into the scene, and it's great because on the DVD you can watch, like, they had about three or four cameras rolling at once on everyone's different reactions, and there's a point where just a jet of blood, like, sprays right into Veronica Cartwright's face, Mm -hmm. and she goes, like, flying back over the chair behind her, and everyone else just keeps on acting, and you just see her cowboy boots up in the air, like, (laughs) picks herself up and carries on. (laughs) It, it it is a really great scene and iconic and not 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 terribly ruined by the fact that the alien itself is just obviously a little plastic puppet. <laughs> and when it goes running away, it, it looks kind of shitty, but it's I think it I think it gets away with it because up to that point, it is so horrific. Yeah. Well, on that note, should we talk about the alien? Yes. Yeah. I, I think part of why it gets away with it, jumping off what you were saying there, is just that the design is so fantastic. Mm. Like you're you're almost willing to forgive the ropey depiction of of the alien just because the the idea of what you're being shown is so phenomenally great. It it blows the bloody graboids out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, you're yeah. right, and and it is a huge part of what sells the franchise. I think this yeah. this very cool alien because it's not. All right, it is a man in a suit, but it's not like a human with strange ears or anything like that that you see in Star Trek. Yeah, and and it's not a ridiculous kind of puppet head like you get in Star Wars. Yeah, it's this. It really feels like an embodiment. It's very animalistic. It's kind of they they do a good job in very much in in the earlier films as well of keeping it in the shadows. You mm. just see little glimpses of it. It's it's very much a a marriage of function and form as well. Mm. Uh, because obviously uh, they brought in H.R. Giga to design the thing and, and create the look of it. And I mean, that that elevates the film to whole new levels. It's such a wonderful, iconic design, so visually striking. Um, there's obviously all the sexual implications yeah. going on there as he, he, well. He sent the original designs and they went, we like it. Uh, we are going to have to take some of the cocks off it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, it's good. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) but like I say it goes beyond that whoever it was who designed the way it works and like I say the fact that it has acid blood I assume this has come from the writer but but that as well you know that the fact that it's such a cleverly designed monster that that it does have this natural defense mechanism of acid blood so you can't cut it open you've got to be careful when you fight it it just adds this whole new layer of of threat and and that becomes all the more apparent in the uh the sequels there's a lot of points in in some of the later films where you know someone can't really stab the thing without getting acid all over themselves and and you know like i say the the mouth within the mouth 
or the fact that it has this larval stage and it gestates inside the human womb. And then there's this whole analogy for childbirth and it's such a perfect creature in terms of design. And it is a big part of what's helped the Alien franchise become what it has, I think, because it's such it's such a scary thing. It's it's so well designed and so well realised as well. You watch the first film now and there's definitely a few scenes where it's like, ugh, bit dodgy rubber suit going on there. Yeah. Um, and they get better as they go along, obviously, as technology improves. Um, but generally speaking, it still completely sells it, doesn't it? Oh, completely. Yeah. No, it's, it's perfect. And part of what, one of the things I like about it as well is that, we, as opposed to the sequels, in Alien, you've got no sense of motivation for this creature. It's, and that's why it's not mm. the same as the slasher mm. film, because it's not, it's not a murderer with, with something in mind, for whatever motive it may be. It's just an animal. It's scared. It's running around. It sees something. It attacks it. Um, mm. And you get that impression. And, and that makes it much scarier, much, much more of a threat, because it, it can't be reasoned with. Poor little alien. It didn't. It didn't want any of this, did it? <laughs> well, let's have a quick mention of Ian Holm as as who who turns out to be an android. Mm. Um, and again, yeah, great twist because you don't see it coming, but then you do. It does kind of make sense because he's the company man, like the ultimate company mm. man. And then when he kind of goes a bit doolally, it feel it's just sort of sensible enough to be believable. Um, mm. And the design as well of that, it's kind of a, a sort of a goo, it's all white, and it's just yeah, different to anything milk. you've seen before. And yeah. it's just an interesting design choice again. Mm. It literally was milk, right? Yeah. Didn't it make yeah. it made him quite ill or something? Yeah, because he was just so. in, on this stale milk all day. Again, I think there's a really great. I think there's a there's a definitely a weird sexual theme throughout the whole thing from the design of the alien, oh, yeah. which is essentially a penis head. But with this yeah. character specifically, there's a point where he's uh, trying to kill Ellen Ripley, yeah. and he does it. And he like pushes her into someone's like cabin thing. I think it might be Parker or Brett, like one of the engineers. And there's all these like pornographic like topless women on the wall and he rolls up a porn magazine and she's like mm. dazed on the sofa in front of him and then he starts like force it down her mouth it's a really odd mm. but i just think you can read so much into the robot trying to kill the human by rolling up a porn yeah. magazine. i'm not quite sure what he's intending to do with it like trying to put it down her mouth or like if that's his own sexual frustration or what, it's very Part interesting. Of why it works because it feels like yeah. really weird and kind of sort of a, not a human thing to do because it doesn't really make sense. Mm. But then when you when you get the reveal that he's an android that's going a bit haywire, it kind of makes more sense, or at least you kind of go, "All right, well, yeah, why he's doing weird things." Ridley Scott says that there is a clue earlier on, and I'm interested to know if either of you thought anything about this. There's a point where uh, three of the characters are going out. Uh, on the on the alien planet to find the call the, the source of this distress signal that they've been called to this planet for, and Ian Holm is going into his little laboratory thing to watch the the video feed and communicate with them and give them advice and whatever. And there's a bit where he just like jogs on the spot very quickly, mm-hmm. and that Ridley Scott said is supposed to be a clue that something is off and that that's him as a robot like loosening up his gear, loosening up his joints a little bit and. Uh, is keeping things moving. That's one of those moments that I really like because it just makes it feel real. It makes it feel well human, actually. It makes rather than yeah. being actors in, in a performance, it makes it feel like, oh, do you know what? Someone he's just sort of like he's getting pumped ready for the mission, and he's like, okay, yeah. he's a slightly weird guy who's just sort of like, okay, rah. it's something my mother would do. 
when to, she, she does run she runs on the spot when she's cold so it's just like yeah that's that's kind of how i took it i didn't take it as i don't know i don't know if anyone on a first watching of this film would think aha yes robot there I think well, that's it. For, for me it made him seem more human because it's not a logical yeah. thing to do mm. like a robot exactly in the world. Totally. If anything, I would read it now as a robot thinking, "Oh, I wish I was human," or something like that. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. maybe Ridley Scott isn't that great a director after all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the sake of getting through this episode in a more yes. than three hours, in less than three hours, um, shall we move on to Aliens? Yeah, and I think on, on on the subject of Ash, if I can use this as a bridge, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a, a good topic because Ash's purpose there is the whole reason why they went to answer this distress signal on the alien planet which brought the alien on the ship is because the company and i don't think that they're referred to by name in alien but the company is Weyland yutani who own the the mining ship or whatever it is that the characters are on and they have an interest a fascination with getting this alien and dissecting it, understanding it, creating their own versions of it. It's not quite clear what they which want is, from it. Which is not a, a bad decision, really. I mean, it's it makes perfect sense. Any company that's delving into areas of the unknown will will bring back things that to, to test or to, to, to look at. The fact that their crew are expendable in order to get it is, uh, is where the evil corporation bit comes in. Yes. <laughs> Quite, but they're, they're, they're really just in the background in the first film. It's more about the characters, but in the second film, the company is very much the big, evil, villainous entity. Mm. And in a very 80s way as well. <laughs> it's yes, kind of represented yes. by a yuppie. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the big disputes, really, I suppose, amongst film fans. Which one's better, Alien or Aliens? Well, can I can I address this? Because... Um, I used to, like I say, I'm a big fan of Alien, and I used to use this as a, a way of judging people. Um, and if yeah. anyone, anyone who liked Aliens better, I would just assume that they were a mindless idiot. Um, <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I've I've since been won over by James Cameron, and it was basically <gasps> due to it, no, bear with me. It was it was due to Avatar. <laughs> Avatar as a film, I was not particularly expecting to like in any great way, just an action film, but there was a lot more to it than I expected, and, and, and more just the fact that it was obviously a massive attack on uh, American foreign policy and in, in a sort of a larger scale sort of economic imperialism. So that really impressed me. And the point of it was very, I mean, God, if you've seen Pocahontas, you, you get the point. <laughs> Well, exactly, but I, I, I kind of liked that that was there, and, and and it made me readdress aliens, and sort of a lot of people had said that aliens like an analogy for Vietnam, like with the military going in and then getting kind of um, mm. overpowered. But going back to aliens, I kind of went with a more positive attitude, and I think I took a lot more from it. Um, I still don't think it's really a good like a Vietnam allegory or anything like that, but it, I still don't think it's better than Alien. Uh, but I think it's an excellent film in in the genre and what it's it's doing. I think it's really well shot. I think it's really well put together. And I no longer think that people who prefer aliens should be, you know, euthanized. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I still, I, I still think it's a good means of differentiating, judging people. someone's, yeah, how they're approaching film. Yeah. I mean, Calvin, on paper, I'll say you are someone I would think would prefer aliens to alien. What on paper? 
Why? Really do you not offended. think? Do you not think, Alan? In theory, Calvin. Because um... you like Resident Evil, Calvin. <laughs> oh, that's for different reasons, though. I mean, it's a completely different um, kind of film. I I forget. I always forget that you like slasher movies, though. Thinking about it, and Alien is yes. more of that. Mm. Well, no, I, I think Alien is a, a classy product. Like, yeah, we talked about how yeah. it's grim and dirty, and it's got all these sexual connotations. But I think it's a real yeah. classy, brilliant piece. I think it's a piece of art. Yeah. Whereas I, I think, think Aliens, Aliens is, is oh no, I think it's just it, I, not as high art as Alien is. I can't. I can't say. Speaking objectively, obviously, it isn't the worst film in the series, but I think it's the least interesting and probably the most Mm. boring. And I'm putting Prometheus in that as well. I used to like Aliens a lot more, and I've never thought it was as good as Alien, for the record. But um, I went back to rewatch these fairly recently, and I was really surprised at how not that amazing Aliens is, frankly. Yeah. Like I think it, I, I think it's very good, but I think it's kind of it just kind of plods along for the first hour. It's only like the last twenty minutes when it really kicks into gear, and mm. the last twenty minutes are great. And I think I think a lot of people just go out on a high and and what <laughs> have you, because um, mm. those last twenty minutes are so great. But it's it's quite just. I don't know, quite slow and dull in a lot of ways. Before that, I think a lot of people. Love the characters of um, these these marine people, Hicks well, and stuff. Yeah. But I couldn't give less of a shit about these well, boring no, I, I yeah. like, guys. I like Completely them. Agree. They're they're just sort of fleshed out enough that we can get on board with them. We understand their little community, as such as it is. And then when they get killed, it sort of it it, it means something. I like that. I think, I think it that works just enough. Yeah, I, I just I couldn't care less about them. I really couldn't, and and I'll extend that to Newt as well. I, I the introduction <laughs> of a li- some boring little girl. I completely agree. Care less about some little child. I don't care. That, that's the best thing about Alien Three is that they kill her off. Like, right? <laughs> oh, don't what, go ahead of ourselves. It's not what it does to Ripley, and it really irritates me that all of the yeah. following sequels do run rings around this whole mother issue. And, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, she's a mother, and she. And I think the great thing about Alien is that it, the cast could be anyone. They could all be men. They could all be women. They could be a mix and match. Gender is not an issue here. You're making a very specific yeah. point of this is a woman, so therefore there is this little girl and it only really makes sense in the full special edition cut because there are scenes there when I'm not sure which version you guys watched but there are scenes where Ellen Ripley learns that while she was in cryosleep and in stasis for the past like 50 years her daughter who was waiting for on earth died and mm. you have these scenes where the company come in mm. and it's like yeah we found your daughter she's dead by the way so that makes kind of sense for why she has this attachment to this girl that she just happens across happens upon. Let me jump in because I yeah I saw the the deleted scene in which she finds out about the daughter and in the theatrical version you don't know that she has a daughter at all. It's, it's uh, no, no, completely no. taken out. I prefer that because then, because her then her connection to Newt is just more kind of one human to another. She sees she sees a, ch- a child like scared and she sees herself in that because she was she's there. Because everyone else there, they're military trained, they're just there to do a job and these are just civilians, they're collateral damage. Well, she's the human in the group and she, she connects to this girl. 
Yeah, it's a. But if you if you make it that she's got this daughter and she knows she's died, it makes it much more personal, and I don't like that as much. I prefer it. It helps me because otherwise it is just oh yeah, I'm a woman, so I'm gonna look after this girl. I mean, one one what I will say is the the beauty of the first alien is that anyone can be turned into a mother at any minute, and that's the horror. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah. so the idea that the other the sequels do lean so heavily it's sort of inevitable that they kind of explore those themes but well, at the same so, time when you, yeah when you put it like that it, it almost does feel like a bit of a slap in the face to um yeah. the sort of pro feminist uh I don't think it belittles the character though I don't and I don't think That is true. It, and and I think like I said because that scene is deleted where we find out she is actually a mother and so that connection just feels much more human to me rather than oh I'm a mother therefore I have to look after this child because oh my child is the same age and now she reminds me of her and I think the progression of Ripley's character throughout this the series really works for me because of the way it fleshes her out. And in the second mm. one, you, you get more that human contact. And but she also turns into more of a legitimate badass as she goes along. But that mm. again doesn't feel too forced in the second film. She doesn't just become like an action hero like just like that. She has to kind of get mm. dragged into it. She has to learn how to use a gun. And then in the third one, much more. Well, we'll get into that. But it's much more nihilistic and all that because. You know, just depressed because everyone mm. she knows dies, um, and then in the and then in, in the fourth one, also in the third one, spoiler alert, she is impregnated. She becomes the mother, and then in the fourth one, she becomes part of the actual creature, and she becomes the mother of the creature hybrid thing. Mm. And so mm. that kind of progression and this sort of maternal thing that runs through it, I think works quite nicely. And and just the fact that she's a woman and therefore could be a mother anyway, it's like. I, and she, but she never, as a woman, she never has the opportunity to be a mother in a legitimate sense because her life is completely derailed by these aliens. Mm. Uh, anyway, so I suppose I, I'm not saying I've, it's the, I've got the right answer here. I'm just saying I think it's quite interesting rather than, and I don't dismiss that as just, oh God, they've turned her into a female character. Well, I think Sol hit the nail on the head for me. It, it's In the other films, I don't have much of an issue with it. And I think it was more of a, subcon- a subconscious thing. Uh, I'm, I'm only sort of realizing a lot of things as you guys are talking now. But in <laughs> this film, because it is so overt, it, it's, it's, you know, she's looking after a little girl. It's as blatant as that. Um, well, I think just on the on the flip side of the the mother thing, the fact that she does become also like this gun toting action hero um, plays off against that. So there's this she's also doing this very masculine, traditionally masculine thing of being the hero and the and the big the big guy who wins the day and, and kills everyone. So does that not balance it out somehow, some way? Uh, perhaps, yeah. It's- it's worth mentioning as well that the the big boss at the end of the film is also a mother. It's the alien queen, and that's yeah, that's a yeah. very very conscious decision on their part, like to pair the uh, the two women against each other, as it were. True. I'm not entirely True. sure what they're trying to say with that, but before we move on, um, I I just want to say one of, in fact, my favorite thing about Aliens the film is that it is it's it's a new genre. And this is something that the franchise does with each film, really. Mm. But Alien was very much a horror movie. And Aliens is very consciously not, really. It's more of an action movie. And I think that was a really good decision on the part of James Cameron. Because it it really does make Aliens distinct from the first film. Mm. It, it could have so easily just been a tired rehash of the first film. 
No offence to Michael Bean, though, but I really... It was only probably on the third time watching this film I could actually pay attention to who the different Marines were and that this one mattered and he makes it to the end because I'm much more into Lance Henriksen as Bishop and Sigourney. One of my questions, one of my notes I put was, whatever happened to Michael Bean? Because I I think he's all right in this film. He does... He's a nice nice little performance. Like, what, what happened to him? Where did he go? Like I know he's in he's in Terminator and this that's all I know of him. Yeah, is he dead? No, no, he's alive. <laughs> uh, no, he was in the Abyss. He's he's been in stuff. He's in Planet Terror. He's mm. yeah, he's in stuff. But... Well, I, I, speaking of the Marines, I, I do need to ask one question, and um, it's a question that may seem in bad taste due to recent events. But the question is, who told Bill Paxton that he was an actor? because or at least who told him that he could be like the cool extreme guy which he seems Uh, to love doing I'm not going to defend any of these marines I think they're all just very bland uh, archetypes and he's the most everyone loves that character because he's got all the quotable lines of game (sighs) over man game over all that and and he does he does have a well, bit of an arc he does start out as be you know rough and tough and then as soon as the aliens come out he's oh, I'm terrified and whiny and then and then he goes out in a blaze of glory at the end but I hate that scene where he goes out in a blaze of glory at the end when he's like firing off all, in all directions and he's like oh yeah you want some yeah 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 who yeah and it's like <laughs> I hate it so much I mean I just hate his character all the way through and yeah. and Bill Paxton is he's just not it's, it's not the right part for him. It's completely miscast. I don't think he's got what it takes to pull that character off. Because I think you could have that character, same lines and everything, with a, a different actor and it would work so much better. And I know Bill Paxton is what is he just makes with James Cameron. What, what's the I was about to say, like, I think, I think pretty isn't. chummy. You're going to go spit on his grave next? Is that what you Well, I, the thing... No, it's interesting because... Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know, but you can't legally libel the dead. Oh, that's so, good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, actually, I heard that Bill Paxton um, used to like just stamping on mice. Um, <laughs> no, Sol, Sol to get his you're missing a point. We, we want to get sued. That's the whole point. We want the publicity. There's no point slagging off people. Well, no, but this, no, but this is great because we'll upset his estate. They'll, they'll complain about us on Huffington Post or something. And uh, we'll be legally in the clear. <laughs> I think I think you're right, Calvin. I think the Marines are, yeah, very kind of cardboard cut characters. I mean, I don't know how half yeah. of them are, but the ones that you do kind of get more of a character for, like Vasquez, um, who's yeah. like the the kickass female one. You know, I think it works in the context of the film. They 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 do what they need to do. But what about the the yuppie guy who turns out to be like mega evil? Oh, um, Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser, yeah, he did a lot of yuppies um, back then. Yeah, well, he's the evil corporate man, isn't he? He's the one who persuades Ripley to go along on the This the is thing. my trouble with it. It's a little bit too black and white evil guy, isn't yeah. it? It's just... Like, he's literally trying to murder everyone to, to make money. And it's that's very much... Okay, that's very 80s, I guess, in that sense. But, mm. but at least with Ash in well, the first film, he's like, he's following all. He's a robot. He doesn't understand that... You know, if if the, his orders say these people are expendable, he's going to do it. Yeah, I I think he um his plan was flawed in that he seems to be the only one in on it. And if you're gonna try and trap people in rooms with aliens, deadly, <laughs> vicious aliens and stuff like that, he he just isn't really it, his plan isn't very good. I'm not quite sure um what he thought was going to happen. Like yeah, running away from everyone else in a building infested with seven foot tall things that can kill you with ease is probably not a great 
idea. <laughs> but this is every James. Every I feel like every James Cameron film has some evil corporation. Um, what about then? I think in terms of acting, the last person we need to address is Lance Henriksen as yes, Bishop, as the Bishop. android, which I think yes. is a fantastic performance. Uh, yeah. He gives a very kind of slightly not quite human vibe to it, and doesn't do much, but I think it works. Um, I I, I agree. I think to I think it's a really uh, smart thing to have another alien on board the cr- uh, another robot on on board. Uh, he prefers the phrase synthetic human. Synthetic human, yes. Uh, but who uh, Ripley can put aside some of her prejudices and mm-hmm. eventually come to like him at the end. And I think Lance Henriksen plays it so well. He's really like he's likable, but kind of creepy at the same time. Yeah. Like he could go the other way and be. A, a, a villain or have some ulterior motive but he doesn't and I, I feel really bad for him when he gets ripped up at the end and... <laughs> but anyway he's he, he is a, he is a great addition to the to the uh, the crew and along with Ripley he's probably my you know second favorite character in, in in the thing just before we move on from aliens I think we need to briefly touch on the fact that Sigourney Weaver was nominated for an Oscar for this oh, film, which yes, is yes, quite yes. an astonishing feat. Not that her performance is bad or undeserving of a, an, an Oscar nomination. It It is odd, though, isn't it? Because it, it would be like giving Bruce Willis a nomination for Die Hard or something. It doesn't quite seem like... Oh, I think... Oh, no, there's a lot... It's a very different performance, I, I, I think. The reason she got that Oscar nomination is because of the mother stuff with Newt. Well, obviously, that's my conjecture. But people looking at that are going, wow, it's got action hero and this emotional resonance as well. Uh, And that's what made it a nomination-worthy performance. To be fair, she sells the line, leave her alone, you bitch, really well. That's not the line. What is it? Get away from her, you bitch. But but that that's a line that like and I, I might sound like I'm joking here, but I'm being sincere. A lot of actors would butcher that because it's quite it's quite a clumsy thing to say and unnatural. Yeah. Like there's a lot of films where I've seen people given similar lines that's meant to be the big badass moment at the end, and they they say like "Take that, you bitch," and and you it just feels so unnatural for them. So How would uh, Bill Paxton say it? <laughs> Get away, bitch! Get away from her, man! <laughs> oh, he was winding me up in that film. <laughs> uh, okay, shall we move on to Alien Cubed? Let's, yes. Or Alien 3, as it is more commonly known, I suppose. Yeah. But no, Alien Cubed is the uh, correct title, isn't it? Calvin, you seem to be the, the, the person who knows about the backstory, so do you want to mm. sort of give us the, the behind-the-scenes notes? Oh well, this one is a fascinating one because uh, at the ending of uh, Aliens, obviously you have Ripley, Hicks, little girl Newt, and Bishop the android, and it's quite a happy ending. The four of them have vanquished the alien, are going off into the distance, and for a while that was sort of considered. Well, maybe that'll be the last we'll see of Ellen Ripley, and that'll be it. And the next film will be either it'll be just Hicks or it'll be a different character or whatever, but it it was in development for some time immediately after Aliens. Sigourney Weaver wasn't terribly interested in coming back to do another one. From what I gather, it was it was really this was a film that just went went so went, uh, went through so many different mm. uh, variations in mm. pre production and development, and it, the the final product is sort of a, a bizarre hodgepodge of a lot of these things. I'm not quite sure who, if you could credit any one person with this is their idea. 
Well, anyway, at some point in the production, um, the producers, Walter Hill and David Geiler, who have been with the series from the beginning, they wrote a version of the script, and everyone that was with her on the ship dies. <laughs> yeah, they... <laughs> Including they the little girl. Die on the way to their home planet. I do really like that. Just the complete brutality of the beginning, where it's like, oh, remember that nice little family unit they built? They're dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about this film, and I think this is why, especially following on from Aliens, which is so mass market and just gener- quite uh, generic, really, in its appeal, to go from that to something like this, which is essentially a nihilistic, very dark, uh, quite... Uh, depressing film, really. I, I, I'm not surprised that this film did not do terribly well at the box office or <laughs> with reviews, because because you, you you create a new kind of audience when you make a film like Aliens, and that kind of audience isn't terribly interested in nihilistic conversations about you know. I think it would have helped if uh, if Alien Three wasn't shit. Which version did you watch? Because I'm gonna. I've I've seen them both. I, I'm gonna really make a case for the assembly cut. I think. I, it's, I know. Uh... I know that the two of you are big Alien Three apologists. <laughs> I don't know the extent to which. Um... Well, okay. Let's let's set this out right away. Alien Three has long been a personal favorite of mine, and and I now on an objective point of view, I I can understand what's wrong with the film. I can see that, but it just hits so many of my buttons. And again, it's one of those films that. I saw when I was younger, and and it's got a big nostalgia element to me as well. Mm. And so, what the things I like about it is like much more very enclosed. It's sort of few characters with a with a single threat. I like the nihilism of it. Mm. <laughs> I like the depression of it. I think it's just so mm. brutal and hard. Uh, I like um, the fact that all the actors are these like the the cream of. British TV actors <laughs> of the early 90s. <laughs> I like that. Um, Brian Glover. I bet you just... love, but I knew you <laughs> my, love Brian Glover. I knew would love him. Gruff Yorkshireman. Yeah, I love it. In this prison for some reason in space. I come to I come to the film slightly differently. Uh, I think this is one that really had to grow on me, and it was only probably on my third or fourth viewing of it that I genuinely loved it. I remember first seeing it. I watched the films out of order just because it was whatever was on TV, and I saw Alien first, and Alien Three was the second film in the series that I saw, so I didn't have a clue who Hicks was, who mm. Newt was, or whatever. I was about like fourteen watching it, and I I just thought it was kind of boring and didn't really get it. And then I watched it again and thought it was boring and just miserable. And then I remember exactly when it was as well. You know when you see a film at a certain point in your life, and all of a sudden it clicks and it makes sense. I had this with Hitchcock's Vertigo. Um, but I saw it again, like, shortly after we'd all finished university and hadn't got a job or anything, and it was really, like, I, I was just at a point in life where I, I maybe I was just depressed and a bit nihilistic <laughs> and watching this, and it, I was just in that perfect mindset for it, and ever since then, I've seen it a couple more times since, I, I just love it. It's just, it's just not, not great. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not complete shit, but it's, it's, it's mediocre, I think. I think compared well, to the other two, it, it, it it's a messy film. I think objectively, it's a messy film. Oh like, yeah, and as you've got at slightly there, Calvin, the assembly cut does patch up some of those holes. Yes, uh, um, a tiny bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Especially like where the hell Paul McGann goes? <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's just put it out there. Let's make this clear. Basically, David Fincher, who it was his feature film debut, and the film was very much kind of taken out of his hands. 
uh, even through filming, there seemed to be a lot of conflict between the writer, the producer, the the, the director, mm. and then Sigourney Weaver's got her uh, yeah. piece in there as well because and the studio as well. The studio. It seems like it just seemed like a, a clusterfuck of a, of a mess, like the, yeah. the classic Hollywood studio things. Everything's going wrong, kind of situation, and. Yeah. It seems that Fincher was pretty much taken away from the edit and they and the studio edited yeah. it themselves, um, and so the yeah the end result is a bit of a uh, of a Frankenstein if you if you <laughs> pardon the expression, um, so it doesn't work on that level and the, it, it's a sort of messy put together piece. So why do I like it? What what, what elements are there that managed to draw me in? I don't know. I think it's the characters that I like, and and the sort of again this a natural kind of interplay between them. Like looking at the cast as a whole, I'd say I probably like them more than the other two films. Actually, mm. they're, they're certainly more easy for me to distinguish, like who's who. Oh wow, that's feel... interesting. Because because a, a big complaint about this film for a lot of people is that they are just a bunch of bald English men who you can't really. No, but there's the there's the stupid one and and the glasses one. It would have benefited from much fewer characters. Instead of having like twenty-five monks or, or prisoners, whatever mm. they're supposed to be, have like seven, and and then yeah. the two, and then the doctor and the two. I think it would have been much simpler. We would have still been able to go, okay, that's that guy, that's that guy, and you could still have achieved everything you were doing in the film. So, what else do you love about the film, Alan? What makes <sighs> it a personal favorite of yours? It's hard. Like, I honestly can't really justify it. <laughs> it must just. It's, well, like it's interesting that you said, Calvin, how you perhaps you watched it at a time when, you know, when you were a teenager and the sort of, you know, adolescence takes its toll on a lot of people and, and you start to have a more kind of nihilistic view and you're perhaps depressed. I mean, I definitely went through that was pretty much my defined my teenage years. So and that yeah. is when I would have seen this. So maybe it resonated with me because yeah. of that. Um, it's, yeah, yeah I hadn't thought of that until you just sort of said it, but definitely that was the state of mind I was in. You know, I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen a film and reevaluated it and liked it after I disliked it to begin with. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to think of an example where that's happened. I watch loads of films and think, oh, this doesn't hold up, but <laughs> but it never seems Not to the go way around. Yeah. And, and I try a lot. I'll, I'll, there's a lot of things I watched when I was younger and thought, ugh. And I'll go back to it thinking, oh, I was just a kid. I, I you know, I, I'm sure it's actually really good, and I just didn't get it. And then I'll get 20 minutes in, and I'll be like, nope, I was spot on. 12 year old me, spot on. Does that make you feel good, Saul, that you haven't grown in the last 15 years? No, I have grown. Like I say, I, I hate more stuff than I used to. So. so, should we talk a little bit about the supporting cast in this one? Because it is a radical departure from the. Lance Henriksen comes back as, well, partly as a bishop, and I'm not sure if when he is bishop, if it's actually Lance Henriksen in makeup, or if it's an <laughs> animatronic thing, because it's amazingly well done. The android, when she's put some power into him, that's all animatronic yeah. and fantastically No way! Well. Oh yeah, that's not him at all. And it's, oh it's fantastic, God, isn't, isn't it? It looks really good. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah, that's really good. And works really nicely, that scene as well. Uh, less good is his appearance later on as uh, a, a human, maybe? Possibly. He pops up at the end and well, he's like the company oh, man. Oh yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. Try and, tell, try and convince Ripley not to kill herself with the alien insider. God, I well, hate that. Calvin, can you perhaps clarify this? Because I, like I say, I just rewatched them this week and I watched the assembly cut and in that, 
when he gets smacked on the back of the head, he's bleeding and he goes, oh, I'm not a droid, yes. look at me. And there's very much the message is that he's human. In, mm. the, in the version that I'm more familiar with, he gets hit the back of the ear and like it like metal comes off and his ear's hanging off. And it's very oh. much, it's very much, it's, uh, this is my memory of it. I haven't watched that version, oh. I guess, for a while. But my memory of it is that he is definitely a droid and that is revealed when he gets hit. No, that footage is identical in both versions. Yeah. As far as I'm aware. Maybe uh... it's just because it looks like his ear's hanging off. Uh, yeah. Rather than just like bleeding or anything like that. Yeah, it is it, really it, odd. But it was interesting when I watched the assembly cut because my memory of it is that he is definitely a, a droid. Well, I, it's it's really bizarre. I'm not quite sure. Like, they'd say that he's the one who designed the bishop robot, and he just designed yeah. it yeah. to look like himself, which is odd. I just, I, I really, it really irritates me, and I wish that that was a different actor in that role. It, it's very. I don't get what the idea behind it is other than, oh, we've got Lance Henriksen on set and the script has changed so much that we don't need him anymore. Is there anything we can get him to do? All right, yeah, let's get him to do this. I think that's it. I I think it is just purely how can we write the actor into it, a familiar face. Um, And then in the rest of the cast, we have Charles Dance as Mm -hmm. um, the facility's doctor who used to be an inmate. And uh, Ripley actually has something of a romance with him. Yeah, uh, how do you guys feel about that? I think it, it, it's played with a with the the nihilism it, it needs. It doesn't feel like a love story. It feels like two lost souls who just uh, have mm. have the briefest of connections and they they make the most of it. Mm. And then, so I kind of like that because it's not there's no kind of a, there's not a lot of emotion there because these are two mm. very numb characters. Particularly Ripley, she's like she's depressed in this film, like she and she's numbing herself to it. And she's she's suicidal, like literally, she wants to die throughout the whole film. Um, so yeah, with kind of they give it a practical purpose. Obviously, she feels like her death is going to achieve something because she's going to kill the alien as well. But I think that's a way of tempering the fact that you're making a suicidal character, and that's a difficult thing for for an audience to go with. Mm, completely. And then you get this backstory of him, and you just start to get this idea of what what's going on with his life and why he's ended up there. And then, boom, he's dead. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I kind of, it, it feels like such a waste, but I kind of like that. It does feel like this because there's, like I say, there's so much of this film which is just like a big fuck you all the way, all the way through. Yes. Like, oh, you saw you like that guy. He's dead. <laughs> so. Yeah. But then with Newt as well, it's like this little girl who was Ripley's entire motivation in the last film, and it's like there's this autopsy scene where she's getting dissected and cut open. It's it's quite horrific. I think really. that's what I like about it. It's just so brutal and raw, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And you, and um, Sigourney Weaver I, I just again a, a completely different character, a complete shift, and she performs it so well. Oh, this is her best performance. I think this is probably the best performance I've ever seen her give in anything, to be honest. I think she gives this everything. I can't think of anything that I've seen her in where she's done a better job. But it is. like Every, um, every Ripley in each film is, is very different. and You see a completely different side of her. Yeah. And I also just want to give a little shout out to Brian Glover, who is a favourite of mine in this film, <laughs> who is the, the prison warden. Uh, he's this like bald English guy. He's got this little stress ball that he keeps... Uh, 
He's just fiddling with it in his hands, and he's got such a great delivery. He's a really fun character, and then he dies. He's taken by the alien in the middle of the canteen. Ripley comes in saying, oh my god, everyone, there's an alien here, and he's like, be quiet, Miss Ripley, blah, 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 <laughs> and then the alien comes down and grabs him and then takes him up into the ceiling, and then the little stress ball just like falls down and starts like bouncing. <laughs> I think it's a really nice moment. I think he's great. I, yeah, I mean, he's probably my favourite character. I would have liked a bit more interplay between some of them and, and perhaps more conflict yeah. from him because he's very much hands-off. He, he barely speaks to mm. Ripley at all. And when he does, it's very dismissive. I would have preferred more interplay with all those characters and with uh, Ralph Brown as his like little assistant. I think he plays that really yes. nicely. And then who's kind yeah. of then thrust into a position of, well, oh God, I'm in charge. I don't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Charles Dance. And then the other sort of big person we have to deal with is Charles S. Dutton as um, Dylan, who is essentially the yes. leader of the prisoners, isn't he? He's their spiritual yes. leader. And mm. he's the one who keeps everyone in check, uh, it seems. I haven't seen Charles S. Dutton in much. And this is a great performance, I think. He just gives it enough. He's got the authority. He's got the power. But it feels mm. like there is thought behind it all. And that there is this kind of mm. spiritual resonance behind it all. Oh yeah! Every time he like talks and goes on a little soliloquy, I'm like, praise Jesus! Well, that's it. Yeah, he's he's I'm, a preacher. He's playing it as him. a preacher, isn't he? Albeit, a, you yeah. know, in a, he's one who's raped and murdered women. Yes. <laughs> Big, and and the religious element is they're essentially like a little monastery there, and they're all they've all got this faith, and and two of them are talking when they know they're kind of potentially going to their deaths, and one of them says, "Do you believe all this religious shit?" Any of the ones no. Like, what else have we got? <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of like that. I wish that was in the proper cut because that kind of just, it, it's, that's just enough to undercut it all. Um, yeah. Which is what it kind of needed to make sure that doesn't, that sort of spiritual element doesn't become actually kind of too important. Such a multi-layered experience, this film. <laughs> well, that's it. Like, I, I think there's a lot there. It's a shame that there wasn't a dry, uh, like someone at the, at the wheel, like making it go in the right direction. But having said that, I think if if it was produced properly, you wouldn't have got the the kind of the nihilistic film that you've got. I think, yeah, because I can't believe the studio would have gone with that. <laughs> they obviously didn't mm. want to. But I, I think, despite all its flaws, it is a an incredibly interesting, uh, very watchable film. Uh, I, I I come back to it more than I do Aliens. Mm. Let's move on to Alien Resurrection. So I, I said the last one was mediocre um, after I sort of got it out of my system by calling it shit. Uh, this one really is shit. Like this no! is a, this is a really bad film. No, I don't stand for that. Go on then, Calvin. Give give us your retort. <laughs> I think it has a wonderful, nasty, dark sense of humor to it. I think the direction <laughs> is weird and. Cinema, cinematography-wise, it, it's, it's. I think it's the most beautiful looking of the entire series. I think every shot is what? so beautifully composed and lit. Are you, I think it's. It look. Oh man, uh, fair Let enough. Him whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like. I can't defend it as a narrative hole, and there are character flaws and logic holes and sort of like, why, why is that character doing that and what exactly are they doing? But in terms of individual set pieces, I, I love each sort of 10 minute block as it goes along. It's the first one since the first film where I feel like the cast is largely a wonderful assortment of character actors like Michael Wincott and Dan mm-hmm. Hedaya and uh, I'll give Ron you that Perlman. one. Mm-hmm. 
I, I that that whole team work very well, and even if you didn't have Ellen Ripley in there with them, I think the crew of that spaceship, the Betty, who arrive and sort of the focus of the film, Winona Ryder's a little bit of a different case, but I think we'll probably get talking about her separately yeah. anyway. I I agree with all your negative points, Calvin. Um, <laughs> so we're on the same wavelength there. Like I don't find it funny. <laughs> I don't think any of the comedy works. But I just want to say the visuals. It like it looks like. I mean, it looks like Resident Evil again. It's that kind of cheap, <laughs> nasty, oversaturated, oversaturated, just tacky, bright color. It just looks shit. So, have you seen? Have you seen Delicatessen? Have you seen? Like, yeah, I have. City of Lost Children. The, Amelie. The, the... Yes. It's the same cinematographer. It's like he's a he's a genius. He has a very specific yeah. way of treating the film so that he achieves a, a, he achieves a, a kind of a couple of pretty overrated films. If you ask he, me, to be honest, he achieves a certain kind of blackness and darkness in the the film quality because he has this special chemical process that he does and the way he lights things. Uh, this is all this is all what I've read. I'm certainly not a cinematography expert, but okay. Well, before we get into the individual pieces. My my view, like you said there, Calvin, that this was a, a dark comedy. I think this is supposed to be a dark comedy, and it doesn't work. Yeah, and I think yeah. uh, whereas Alien <laughs> Three, Alien Three was something uh, the the pieces don't work together, but somehow I get a, a good feeling from it. Whereas this, it feels like everything's there, but it just doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that's that's pretty much what Joss Whedon who. infamously wrote this film says about it he says the film is what he wrote and it's just been the direction has just gone completely wrong all the actors are delivering everything wrong Mm -hmm. nothing is uh timed properly or played properly but he says it's like word for word what he wrote and and i think basically what's happened is this film's been lost in translation um, quite, yes. and quite literally because Jean-Pierre Genet did not speak enough English when he was making this yeah. yes. and I, I think <laughs> how can you direct in a language you don't speak because you're not going to get that subtlety and nuance of performance you're not going to be able to appreciate it you can trust your actors to, to see a script and read it uh, and, and, and interpret it in a specific way but because this film can be seen to be played straight and you can understand where it's coming from and it's that's a testament to Jess Whedon's great writing that he can make something that is a straight down the line action film, but just undercuts it enough to give it that slight tongue in cheek sense of humor that he can do. Mm. That's interesting. Do you think it was written as a comedy? Because oh, yeah. I, I think the humor from oh, it comes yeah. purely from the direction. No, I, I, um, I, I, I think no. I don't. Written. I don't think just. Re- I mean, I think Joss Whedon probably put some little funny bits in there, like you would any kind of action film. But I think he wrote a straight up fun uh, action movie. I think it was it's... written as comedically as something like The Avengers, which whilst it isn't a comedy, is is about as funny as you can make an action movie yeah. before it becomes a comedy. Mm. Um, and the same goes for Buffy and stuff like that. It, it, it's Well, Serenity is the obvious go-to example, oh, of course, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because that's basically what he was doing. That's what he's trying to do. Well, I think this was definitely intended to be something of a... I mean, obviously Sigourney Weaver's getting a bit... You know, she's still perfectly fine as a leading lady, but she's going to get old, and the franchise needs to be handed over to someone else. And I guess Winona Ryder was the one who was seen as the... Okay, right, well, if we keep on going with this... Yeah, yeah, we'll make them with her. Obviously, that... I I mean, they could still come back to it, but I can't imagine that... Probably the weakest character in the whole film as well. Mm. Yeah. Just nothing there, really. Yeah. And, and like you were saying earlier, Calvin, 
there's a film full of kind of quirky character actors. Ron Perlman is the only one who seems to be playing this the way it's supposed to be played. <laughs> yeah. That's where I come from. Uh, like, and he just completely goes with it. Uh, and and Brad Dourif as I was well as just the a, mad well, yeah, scientist. I was just about to say, you know, I really don't like in this film. Is Brad <laughs> Brad, Brad Dourif is perfect for that part. Like, there's not yeah. many people who could have pulled that off. Um, there's that yeah, one. But, but like, does he seen... pull it off? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> as I, I much think, as anyone. I think could. Brad Dourif like exemplifies more than anything this film not working as a whole. <laughs> He's just I so. Love him. It's too much. It's out of place within, like the rest of the film. It's just, just not funny. Just ugh, God, it's kind of know. it's it's more just weirdness with him. I don't. There's that scene where he's alone with the alien behind the glass, <laughs> and he's like baring his teeth at it, and at one point he's kissing the glass, and it's like, is he taunting it or is he in love with it? Like, what is this? It's a really odd scene. How do you seriously like you're you're in a you're on a set you're you're sort of molded into this wall and you're going you are a beautiful beautiful butterfly like how could you possibly <laughs> take that seriously and and well that's just whedon and, but, but like but i mean like brad Dourif is one of the few actors who could have put himself in that position and and just sort of played it as it was <laughs> and yeah uh, yeah i think that's the one i, I read that william h macy uh, would like read for the part and uh, and as he was reading, because um, he, he he said this in an interview, basically he said it was the last time he auditioned for something, um, and <laughs> because you know I was famous enough after that that he didn't need to. But he, he said he he was reading the part and he just went, "Do you know what? This isn't going to work," <laughs> and walked off. <laughs> and you can understand why. That, that is good. I do like that. That's integrity. Some of the characters get lost. Like, there's a woman who's part of the crew, part of the Betty crew. Yes. There's the woman who just, I, I, she never does anything. I don't know. And then the, the captain who kind of dies too early to really do much as well. Gary Dodan mm. feels like, he doesn't do anything wrong, but it feels like that character's got so much more to give. And then yeah. you've got um, Dominique Pignon as Vries, which I think is quite an interesting character that got him in a wheelchair and it kind of, that creates all these other problems. Um mm. But again, that just feels like that never quite pays off, and I, I don't, I don't know if his English wasn't that great, but like he doesn't mm. have many lines, <laughs> um, mm. and so the character doesn't get involved enough. Um, mm. Yeah, it always feels like a lot of missed opportunities, and but there was like a lot of the core ingredients were there to be to be used. You did miss out uh, Leland Orsa, who is um, a mousy sort mm. of character who is impregnated with an alien. Who, it, like his death scene, is one of my favourite bits in the film. Where <laughs> he that kills... is a very kind of campy, silly death scene as well. I so love I'm it. not surprised that you like that. Really, <laughs> it's so great because he's the he, he gets he's like been really mousy and timid all this time, and then the aliens coming out of him, and he just charges at the bad guy and holds his head in front of his chest, and then the alien bursts out of his chest and through the guy's head, and then Ron Perlman. <laughs> And the other guy like look at each other like Ooh, and yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I do love that. Okay, so how about Sigourney Weaver herself? Then we haven't really actually talked about her in context of this film. Do you consider this character to be Ellen Ripley or a separate character entirely? There's a more animalistic sense of it, and she definitely plays it like that. It's not she's not supposed to be human as such. But in terms of in terms of performance, again, like we said before, Ripley is different in every installment, and, and Sigourney Weaver brings something to 
to it differently every time and and does it every time and knocks out of the park really she's fantastic yeah yeah i i completely agree again brilliant performance here and the whole playing with the mother thing i guess does really work here because there's this new human alien hybrid thing that is born of something and uh i guess ripley has sex with aliens or something and (laughs) yeah now what what was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the you know, they always want to do something new, I guess. Like in Aliens, mm. we've got the Alien Queen. In Alien 3, we've got the Alien Dog Cow thing. And here we have... Here the... we have, like, a Pillsbury Doughboy, like, blob <laughs> oh. alien. <laughs> just, it's, I, I just can't see... I can't see anyone thinking, like, ooh, I've got to go out and buy a, an expensive action figure of this, this limpid... <laughs> pathetic alien thing. You only ever think in terms of merchandise, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, what Calvin was saying about how they always want to add a new thing. It's, you know, it, it's it's appealing to those demos, isn't it? And... Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I kind of like the theory of it. I see what they're trying to do with it. It looks... It's a difficult thing to, to get right, isn't it? It looks kind of weird. Is it too human-looking? And it sort of screams mm. like a baby, and it kind of treats Ripple <laughs> like a mother, and it's all just a bit too weird, isn't it? It's all just... <laughs> I, I like it. I, I mean, I, it's, it's certainly not as elegant or um, uh, attractive as the classic alien design, mm. but I think it fits the purpose. I think it I think it really... Cause it, I, I think I like it because it is so... Uh, I mean, God, you can't imagine who designed it and what was going through their heads because it is such a bizarre-looking creature. This is because I know that Giga didn't have much involvement with the series after the first one. I think he, he was hired for three, but they didn't use any of his ideas, something like that. But I think this is something where you need some, like, crazy German man to come in and <laughs> design your creatures for you, because the American... Uh, creations are just never going to be quite as um, interesting, I don't mm. think. Well, I, speaking of which, I think the Alien Resurrection is the first time they really nail being able to show the Xenomorphs in like a lot of detail and a lot of sort of really out in the open, not having to hide them. And it looks cool. Yeah. It's kind of, I guess it's a mixture of CGI. Yeah. I, I presume there's some CGI mm. in there, although it was still pretty early days. Mm. But so it was, oh, yeah. so yeah. it's relatively sort of detailed stuff. And the animatronics, mm. it works really well, I think. And and even being able to see them, it doesn't. They don't lose their uh, sort of fear factor. They, no. Well, yeah, no. I think it's interesting. Like we talked about that scene with Brad Dourif earlier on, where he's like got it. it the thing's like getting a lot of close-ups, and it's like right there in front of the camera, and to hold on it, and what is to hold on it, what is essentially a rubber suit, and for it still to be quite frightening, and you believe it is pretty impressive really it's not like jaws where you hold on the shark for more than 30 seconds and it's like what the hell is this thing right well we've um, covered the real alien films we will be coming back next week to do alien versus predator those two films and then we're doing prometheus after that but first of all we need to address our own pictures how would we continue the alien franchise so uh yeah i i had a difficult time with this one i don't know about you two because i didn't really want to get silly with it i i kind of wanted to figure out uh the best thing for the franchise but mm-hmm. but then doing that without acknowledging prometheus proved quite difficult so i just gave up and, and wrote this <laughs> instead um, <laughs> so so i envision um i think we're probably gonna have to fudge some details to make the continuity work 
but uh, mm-hmm. it's roughly it's roughly the end of Alien Four. Um, uh, we're, we're in Paris, actually. We we meet a normal everyday character to be our protagonist. Is this post-apocalyptic Paris? No. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's set in, it's set in two thousand four hundred and thirty-four though, so it's set in the future. We'll 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 say there's like a functioning society there. It's just a bit grimy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so so our main character Emily, French woman, she's going about day to day life. So we just get a load of boring stuff. I couldn't be bothered to write setting up her character and what have you. Uh, she's a paramedic, so she's going around trying to help people. She's a good guy, and then out of the blue, this like spaceship comes smashing down. Oh shit! And. Uh, <laughs> She she's called to the site because she's the paramedic. Her her mate that she's with, her paramedic friend, gets face hugged because it turns out, oh shit, there there's still some aliens alive on board the the wreckage of the ship. Uh, and then we've just got a bit of the film. It's like Alien, the first movie, but it's in a hospital in a highly populated cityscape of Paris. Uh, so you can have lots of fun with that. Aliens swarming, taking over the uh, populated city. Main character. Uh, has to seek refuge from a bajillion aliens, and uh, she finds her way to a church, and she finds her way to a secret passage in the church, because she's hiding from some aliens. She's chased deeper and deeper into the catacombs, and, and she ends up living there for nine years <laughs> in the catacombs. <laughs> and uh, and one day, she comes up against some weird religious like statues and stuff, and just all these weird things uh, portraying Christ. But he looks kind of like a big hulking white bloke, um, <laughs> like like in Prometheus. Um, <laughs> okay. Which I said I wasn't going to bring up, but I have to. Uh, and then the alien catches up with her and she grabs this, this like big ancient spear thing that a statue's holding. And they have a bit of a fight, a tussle. Uh, she lands a lucky blow as it, it leaps towards her and then she stabs it to death and it bleeds out. All this weird ritualistic stonework on the ground is uh, channeling the glowing blood as it as it pours into the mechanism of these old statues and things. One of the things I really hate is whenever like there's these really complex Aztec uh, temples and stuff that have moving stones that are powered by blood, <laughs> uh, like all that. And it's something that's done so often. It's so, I don't even know how it's supposed to work. Because an alien did it, didn't it? And, um, but yeah, but in this one, it's still made of stone, though, isn't it? Like, how are they moving? No, it's not. It's made of <laughs> it's made of um, unobtainium. <laughs> all right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so a load of stuff Alan doesn't like is happening. And, but it, the thing is, the ground's shaking because it's fulfilled this prophecy uh, as a new engineer clone is being created by the technology buried below the surface. Um, and you know what it is, Alan? What? It's, it's the second coming of Christ. Oh! In 2,443, and uh, the end... The engineer runs away and he's growing quickly as he he grows to adult proportions. And as soon as it gets out to the surface, it just starts running around destroying VHS videotapes. Um, (laughs) And this establishes this as the same incident mentioned in an episode of Futurama where um, the second coming of Christ destroyed all the videotapes, which establishes Alien and Futurama 
uh, and Blade Runner as being set in the same universe. So the entire film was actually just an excuse to set up the sequel, which is going to be a Futurama movie. <laughs> okay, does the alien oh. interact with the Futurama characters? Or is no. there any relation to the alien film? It's called it's called Alien Colon Futurama, <laughs> but it's just uh, it's a fun story about Fry and the gang. I don't know, maybe they, maybe they go off to another planet and do a delivery or something but it's a movie why don't you just make a futurama film if you want to make a futurama (laughs) film because fox is hardly gonna let us make a futurama movie you think you're gonna trick them into it by by producing a shitty film that no one sees first (laughs) yeah and everyone's disappointed by and then somehow getting a sequel out of it yeah (laughs) all right they're not gonna. They're not gonna stop <laughs> making alien movies just because one of them doesn't do that well. It's basically just a really expensive new season of the show at that point. But that'd be good, wouldn't it? Be brilliant. So, Alan, <laughs> uh, what is your idea? Uh, so, I'm mean, imagining I am a producer in around 2004, uh, making, uh, and I'm, it's my job to make a new alien film. But okay, so I just want to address the sort of issues we, we're going to have to deal with here. Yeah, first problem you got is Sigourney Weaver. She doesn't want to do it anymore. She's too old to kind of do the, the job. We've already killed her off once. It's, <laughs> it's time to get rid of Ripley and try and reboot this thing. Will this be like a passing of the torch thing where Ripley has two no, scenes they've already it, tried. To, well, they've already tried to do that and it didn't work. So it probably just do it. But maybe if you can work it in somehow. Like this is, I'm still at early stages pre-production here. So I'm, I'm going to throw it out there to a writer. So that's the, that's the next step. Get a script. Plenty of good writers out there, but there's one guy who's he's very insistent and in, uh, that he's got what it takes. He won't stop calling the office. He, he, he keeps coming up with these new suggestions. He's a guy by the name of Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> now he's... <laughs> oh, dear. He's very keen. He's obviously very familiar with the Alien series and, uh, you know, he knows it inside out. He's got some sort of silly ideas trying to push about crossing Alien with Predator and... It doesn't really make any sense, but whatever. Uh, now, I, I look into his uh, previous work, watch Resident Evil, and then immediately have him blocked from the building, uh, tell the secretary not to take <laughs> his calls anymore, um, have a restraining <laughs> order put against him, just in case. You watch Resident Evil, you think, oh, that's that's pretty similar to uh, Alien Resurrection in terms of you know, yeah, but with, general with... tone, style, quality. <laughs> He's the perfect man for the job. We're not. I'm not trying to make Alien Resurrection. Though. I'm trying to reboot the franchise. <laughs> trying to do something good. All right. With it. Yeah. True. Very true. <laughs> so okay. So we've um, we've got Paul W. Sanderson out of the picture. I call all my producer friends. Just tell them not to hi- hire him ever. Just to, just to make sure. <laughs> and then I, and then and then just to sort of make sure I, I I spread a rumor that he stomps on mice um, <laughs> just to make sure that he never works in Hollywood again. Well, uh, well, I heard he actually does stomp on mice. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. That's where I got that idea. <laughs> so I got him out of the way. I commissioned a screenplay by this young up-and-comer by the name of J.J. Abrams. Now, he's a, he's a good journeyman writer. He's got a healthy interest in sci-fi. Um, he's just had a he hit- hasn't made a feature at this point, has he? 2004. Written stuff, yeah, he wrote. He's got no, his but, name on. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm thinking as a director. Not, not directed. No, but that's why I'm hiring him as a writer. I don't know. Yeah, director. yeah. No, um, he's recently had this hit with a TV show called Alias. He's got something else that's getting a lot of buzz at the moment called Lost. 
Uh, it sounds like a really stupid concept, frankly, but you know, whatever. He's 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 big, uh, so he's the guy I'm going to bring on board to get give me my script. Now he delivers a script that is very predictably to the point, harnesses all the things that people love about the Alien franchise, while giving it a sort of fresh modern feel. Now using this script, we start shopping around for a, a director. Now we see with the directors we've had in the previous Alien franchise, they're always in, interesting choices, usually kind of. Quite young, up and coming. Janae uh, was a bit more established, but not in Hollywood. Um, but we've uh, we, we've talked about that. So, who in two thousand four was in that kind of uh, area? Basically, I've gone for Spike Jones. Oh, uh, who had huh. just done ad- yeah, adaptation and he'd done being John Malkovich before that. So yeah. it's like you want to. It's ready to give him a bit more budget and do something a little bit more uh, genre specific, uh, but slight problem. He's not that happy with the script, and he wants to bring in his own writer. Right, <laughs> you know, he only, he only wants to bring on Charlie Kaufman, doesn't he? I was going to say this is going to turn into the greatest <laughs> Alien film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So here's my new plot line. Okay, we follow a strong, independent woman. She works for Wayland Utani in the sort of secret science labs. She's doing experiments with the xenomorphs and all sorts of things, and so we need to make it clear straight up that she's. She's conflicted about this, and and she's uh, she's kind of she's not fully aware of the evil intent behind the corporation. As far as she knows, she's just maybe she's like a zoologist or something like that, and she's just working with these mm. animals and she's trying to figure out how they work and and on like. So she's not necessarily in like the weaponizing industry. Then a group of animal rights activists attack the lab and try to free all the animals. Now they don't know they've got a load of xenomorphs in there as well. They just think they've got animals, so they're trying to free them. When all this happens, the security goes into full shutdown. Boom, everyone is locked inside. We kind of get a similar situation to Alien Resurrection where where you've got people on different sides uh, who have to work together to get out alive. You know, you've got the scientists, you've got the activists and mm. maybe security, blah, blah, blah. And along the way, they encounter all these different types of xenomorphs uh, with influences from different animals. So you can have a lot of sort of interesting things with that. Like... Um, can you have a xenomorph that's hosted through a like a a rabbit or something like that? <laughs> I think that there must be um, just based on the face huggers, there must be some sort of lower limit as to how small you can get. But it would be cool to have little little xenomorphs um, that just sort of gibber around. Okay, they eventually come across the super secret part of the laboratory where it transpires that the company has also been conducting tests with humans, like nobody knew about this, or not many. And so there is this one human-hosted xenomorph, a super smart killer. And they, and then this is the your Kaufman-esque twist, right? They discover the body of the host, the human host, and it turns out to be a clone of our strong, independent female hero. So there's a bit of turning and throwing about whether... Is she a clone as well, or is she the original? And they've just been using her DNA to create a host. Can I? Um, can I make a casting suggestion? <laughs> Go on. Uh, Nicholas Cage <laughs> as the Xenomorph. No, it's the strong female protagonist <laughs> and her her twin clone. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I think it's been done. I think it's been done. <laughs> But the long shot of all this is that the, our strong independent hero and the alien now have some sort of psychic bond. We can kind of maybe find some pseudoscience or future technology to explain this, but basically there's a telepathic link between them. And through this, she managed to convince it, the, the alien to leave them alone 
and just be free. And so this alien takes all its little animal aliens with it. It's like a little army of animal aliens and, and just goes off into into the distance. And this is kind of a, a bittersweet ending. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's uncertainty in the future and you could perhaps use that to set up further sequels. Okay, that that's that's it. That's your thing. But for, I've, I've come up with some casting suggestions. Uh, basing this is like two thousand three, two thousand four. Who who okay. who have I got as my my strong independent female actor? I'm setting up to be the new Sigourney Weaver. Tandy Newton. Tandy Newton is not a bad suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Mili Jovovich. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> now I've gone. I've gone for someone I feel is very much in the Sigourney Weaver mold. Uh, she she didn't quite make it. As big as she might have done, but I'm I'm going from 2004 when she would have been. She was really like an up and comer, Chloe Savigny. Oh, which one's she again? I'm gonna. I remember another <laughs> name. This is you know. This is how you know it's a good suggestion when you don't know who she is. I know the name. Savigny. Oh, what? I know the name as well. It's oh oh. Uh, let me Did see. she fall on hard times? <laughs> Not particularly. No. Why? <laughs> oh. I mean, she never became a sort of big oh, star she... or anything, but she does. Oh, she was in American Psycho. Yeah, yeah, she's the secretary in American Psycho. Ah, oh, that's why I know her. She was in American Horror Story. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I thought you would at least know of her. <laughs> I didn't think you'd have to Google her. To be honest, I didn't know she was that obscure. <laughs> I've seen American Horror Story, but I don't remember her. She's in uh, Boys Don't Cry. She's in uh, well, Kids was a breakout film. But basically, in 2004, she was ready to to blow up. Now, in the greatest tradition of alien films, I want the film shot in England uh, with a mainly British supporting cast. And so, with that in mind, I've got a few casting suggestions. David Tennant. No, no, and this is 2004. Yeah, 2004, David Tennant. There you go. That's not... Christopher Eccleston. uh... Christopher Eccleston's a bit more like it. But I don't think... He's weird looking like an alien. (laughs) He's not playing an alien. Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it's 2004, so he's not well known. I've discovered see, him. James McAvoy. I discovered you, Benedict Cumberbatch. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do a shitty sequel with a small part. Um, okay, so here's some ideas for who could play the animal rights activist. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking as kind of the leader, Pam Ferris. Yeah. Are you with me on okay, that one? Yeah. I think that would work, right? Yeah. I, I like that. Left field. Okay. Um, Who else do you have? Cast, okay, then? again, for more animal rights activists, uh, Danny Dyer. <laughs> ah, yeah. Now this is two thousand and four. Danny Dyer, remember? Uh, Chris Marshall. He could be like the love interest. Oh, you maybe. know what? He would fit right in in an alien. Movie. <laughs> there you go. That see? is spot on. I'm surprised he didn't <laughs> pop up in Alien versus Predator when I was watching it again. <laughs> okay, what about this one? Right, this one's a bit more left field, but I think you'll agree it's it's right. Um, Mel C. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I love it. <laughs> you know, it's 2004. She's trying to have a crack at the acting. It doesn't work out, but you know, it's it's fine. She had a crack. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, for the company men, you need people a bit stiffer. I was thinking uh, Chris Barry. <laughs> he was in that stage of playing butlers in Hollywood films, in that kind of stage of his career. Yeah, he was trying to get into like Hollywood then, wasn't he? That's He just did yeah, Tomb, exactly. Ra- Tomb Raider or something the year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stellan Skarsgård. I appreciate he's oh, not English, yeah. but he was in everything back then. So. <laughs> we need some Europeans in there. Yeah, somewhere. it's like a kind of doctor with a funny accent. That would be a, sort of a scary accent. That's... <laughs> 
Like, what about <laughs> Werner Herzog? Let's put him in. There. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, put put him in anything, and I'll be happy. You know who'd be a good robot of that era? David Shoeless. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he would be a good yeah. robot, actually. See, now that's the level we're yeah. talking about. Like, David Hewlis is your poor man's Gary Oldman. That's that's the level we're working at here. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we're doing. It's so confusing when they're both in the Harry Potter films <laughs> and they've got scenes together. I, I genuinely didn't realise they weren't the same. Like, genuinely... <laughs> Without like I, my yeah, no. my introduction, like I I learned of Gary Oldman and everyone loved him, and I was like, oh, I really liked him as that Lupin guy, and it's only more <laughs> recently that I've realised that that wasn't who he played. Mm. Well, right, okay, now we're on board. Um, okay, David Thewlis has play some sort of android, and that's it, really. And then get Andy Serkis in yeah. to play the aliens, and uh, that's all you need. And uh, yeah, I don't think the film would do very well though. I don't think Chloe Sevigny's got the the acting chops to pull off. It's just you can do kind of quiet. Then why drama, did you but... cast Steve? <laughs> because I was trying to cast it as someone in two thousand and four, with the evidence at hand. I do like it when Alan um, preempts <laughs> production problems and failures that would come about as a result of his pitch. Well, I'm doing it, you know, in the past. I'm I'm trying to figure out what might have happened in an alternate. Universe. You're you're being interviewed for the DVD <laughs> retrospective documentary now yes. about. Well, you know, most critics mm-hmm. described her performance as unconvincing, and the effects, you know, the budget wasn't there to really realise what we wanted to do. So, but against all the odds, Mel C got a Academy Award nomination <laughs> for Best Supporting Actress. No, she does a she does a rap that. song over the credits and got nominated for Best <laughs> Song. <laughs> 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 right, shall I uh, shall I do my uh, pitch? And then, well, mine is Alien 5, directly following on from Alien Resurrection, but we're going to make it now. So Sigourney Weaver is about 65 at this point, bear in mind. Um, so we open the film in a futuristic children's playground. It's all grassy and lovely around, and good-looking parents are casually chatting at the side while the children play. We see some bushes rustling, and we go closer to see that familiar alien head shape. One of them is lurking in the bushes. It's all very tense, and suddenly it sees its moment and rushes towards the children, honing in on a little girl who screams, and the parents turn, only to break into smile as the alien brushes its head gently against the girl, and it's clear the pair are playing. (laughs) Yes, in this new film, the aliens have been domestic, Domesticized. They're treated just like. Is that over? <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Do you mean domesticated? It didn't. What is do, what does domesticized mean? It didn't autocorrect me. <laughs> I don't know. Domesticized. I, I mean, mean, maybe I, I it see is the a logic word. behind the word. I just I've never heard it before. I. I it is. A, it is definitely a word. I, I want to. <laughs> you wrote it down. It must be a word. Anyway. In this new film, the aliens have been domesticated. They're treated just like pets. You take them to the vet and have them declawed and defanged. Um, The second set of jaws inside the alien's mouth are removed as standard. But those are just the ones people keep as pets, because there are other aliens around in the wild, and people use, like, sprays to keep them away, like you would, like, mosquitoes (laughs) or whatever. And uh, everyone has immunization jabs when you're at primary school in order to um, not appear as prey to the facehuggers, which instead use animals as hosts, meaning that the aliens are generally much smaller now, but take on a variety of features depending on the animals whose traits they take on. Um, Interesting concept. Everyone is living happily in cohesion with the alien creatures. 
Except Ellen Ripley, who is now living in an apartment in a futuristic city somewhere with Ron Perlman. <laughs> Now, Ron is trying. He will bring it back from Alien Resurrection. I like they're going to be like the old racist couple who hate aliens, <laughs> and everyone else is like, "No, we live in harmony now." Oh, I shouldn't be drinking from our taps. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron is actually trying to get Ellen to let her prejudices go. <laughs> the things have been domesticated <laughs> ever since those ones were captured that arrived near Paris when the ship exploded at the end of Alien Resurrection. But Ellen is not convinced. Um, she, she's sort of, she's a bit, she is a bit acting sort of like prejudice old lady at this point. Um, she's got an office job, but um, she loses her job because there's a bring a pet to work initiative <laughs> that's brought in. And uh, she accidentally no, not accidentally, sorry, she actually kills um, someone's beloved pet alien, Towser. And <laughs> Towser? She, she comes back, Towser, yes. Would it be better if, like, maybe if one of the aliens, like, took her job, uh, and then, like, that some of them move <laughs> into the street, and, like, the house prizes go down, and she just starts <laughs> to resent them. She creates a political we party can... to, to get them removed. What if the alien gets her kid pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> we just want guess who's coming to dinner with uh, Ellen. Oh, that's totally what I should have done with Ellen. There's a face. There's a face hugger like on her kid at the table. <laughs> anyway, so she loses her job, and uh, she comes back home to discover that Ron Perlman has defied her and actually has taken in a stray alien as a pet. Um, this is when Ripley snaps. And what is that film where that man goes crazy? Falling down. Falling down. Yeah. It's all falling How down for know- me. <laughs> How did you get that from <laughs> No, it's yeah, it's falling down. So she snaps and she starts like killing every alien. Does she, she does see. she go into the uh the local alien run corner shop? And, like- <laughs> <laughs> and she's offended by the alien music that they have playing in there. It's like she thinks they should be listening to good American music, and she's sick of the ones down the out, down the corridor that cook their smelly alien food. And she's, she's like, oh dear, you can smell it in the corridors, and she hates it. <laughs> See, Calvin, when we say it, it's like an ironic humor. When you say it, there's a sort of there's a vindictiveness behind it. <laughs> It's just your voice. It just sounds racist. <laughs> the the, ne- the next like hour of the film is basically Ripley just killing things, and uh, she eventually gets taken down herself. And uh, the, there's a moral in here about uh, well, I was I mean, you guys have made it more about immigrants. Where for me, it was more about like sharks. And uh... <laughs> the thing is, like, I'm all I'm all in favor of aliens, but. You, you, there's got to be some limit. There's, there's only so many aliens we can have as pets <laughs> before it just becomes infeasible. I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's wrong to say that. It's just a practicality. So yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> the metaphor that I was going for was that you know, like, you know, great white sharks, like you know, we all vilify them, but actually, actually, they're just, they're just, they're just. They're just animals, and if we step into their environment, then, you know. (laughs) You said great white shark. I thought you were going to make some comment about, like, you know, like shark fin soup or, like, hunting of (laughs) of endangered species or something, but instead, 
You go down there. Everyone hates sharks, <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're people too. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. if I do hate sharks. Oh, you do. Well, it's just an animal, isn't it? I... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's the point. That's the moral. I mean, the the thing is, though, if if we didn't have all those aliens, then. All the money we would save, we could put into the, the health service or into, back into education. But we're supporting those xenomorphs. Without, they're not paying tax, are they? Are they? Are they? <laughs> they're working. I think they're a strain on the public health system, which they're... is already failing. <laughs> it's amazing the difference because you are saying the same thing. <laughs> oh god. So I kind I kind of feel like with that I started somewhere kind of interesting and then just sort of went off in a on a bit of a bizarre hate, tangent. Hate speech. Is weird. <laughs> just... I just think as we always and I suppose like if this was it you know any other animal it would be a oh think of the animal it's just doing what's natural and it's you know we've never actually had anything like that in the alien series they are just the evil. Well, the, the xenomorphs are a, are a the xenomorphs are a powerful dignified beast. Do you want to see them on a leash? Do you want to see them domesticized and tamed by humanity? Will this not reduce their power and their mystique? When you when you go to SeaWorld and you see like a, a giant beast of a fish, like a shark or whatever, um, and everyone hates sharks, but really they're... Um, but then you, and you see them just like performing little tricks and jumping up for fish. It's just embarrassing. Should we call it quits? <laughs> Commercial podcast diminishing returns. Third officer reporting. The other members of the crew, Sol, Calvin, are dead. Content and microphones destroyed. I should be over it in about six weeks. With a little luck, a network will pick me up. This is Alan, last survivor of diminishing returns. Signing off.